Hi everyone, Benjamin Smith here, pastor of Revealing Truth Ministries, Wesley Chapel. You know, God is always speaking good things to us and he has a word for you today, we are sure of it. Take some time out to listen and we'll be back as soon as we're done. God bless you. Loved ones, let's pray. God, I thank you for each and every person here. We never take this opportunity that we have to come and minister together for granted. I pray that you give me your inner wisdom to speak life into each and every person and that everybody under the sound of my voice will get something out of the message today they can use. They will be able to use this word and make their lives better immediately, God. We don't want them to have to wait a year for it. Don't wait a month for it. Not a week for it. Not that it can't give them value down the road, but when it hits their ears, let it resonate in their heart such, it, such that it changes their life immediately. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. We begin today with an image, an image that you've seen before, at least uh, something similar. It's an image of a tree. And that image is the image we left you with the last time we were together, you and I were together. Every person, in essence, is a good tree or a bad tree. And Jesus gives us some detail as to how we can tell which. You look at the fruit. Are we going to go through this in detail today? No, but I wanted to cue you up to let you know one, not to forget this image because we're coming back to it. And number two, in the event you were not here or did not follow the message where we talked about the bad tree and the good tree, it would be beneficial for you to go back and listen to that. Okay? All right. As of right now, though, we're in, we've entered into a new series. And you may hear that series go by or hear it talked about in two titles or captions. One is Mastermind Intensive. The other caption is The Master's Mind. Now keep, it, keep in mind, no matter how you describe it, no matter what caption you use, the bottom line is the main idea surrounds having the mind of Christ. This session for us is introductory meaning we're just going to kick off some stuff. You can probably look at it like it's the soup and salad before you get your meat and potatoes. You feel me? It's, 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 it's introductory. We kick off this introductory session, though, in an interesting place. We kick it off in Matthew chapter 22. In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus is being questioned by a group of people called Sadducees. And after some period of time, when they figure out they cannot outwit Jesus, they make the determination that it's best that I just keep my mouth quiet and shut up and, and walk away and leave this man called Jesus alone. Soon after that, though, a group of people called Pharisees step up to the plate. Now they decide they want to ask this Jesus questions. And this is how it reads. In Matthew chapter 22, I'm coming out of the easy to read version, starting in verse 34. The Pharisees learned that Jesus had made the Sadducees look so foolish that they stopped trying to argue with him. 
So the Pharisees had a meeting, had a meeting. Sometimes people that have a meeting on you, sometimes when people can't, I guess, do you wrong easily like they want to do you wrong, they'll get together and try to figure out a way to do you wrong. They, they, they going to have they going to have a meeting. The other people couldn't do Jesus wrong. So, you know, what we're going to do. We're going to figure out a way that we can do it. It says. So the Pharisees had a meeting. Then one of them, an expert in the law of Moses, asked Jesus a question to test him. He said, teacher, which command in the law is the most important? Jesus answered. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and the most important command. And the second command is like the first. Love your neighbor the same as you love yourself. All of the law and the writings of the prophets take their meaning from these two commands. And thinking about ways to make our subsequent sessions have some practical substance to it, I felt it necessary for us to talk through three items that Jesus mentions here. In his response to the Pharisee, Jesus points out three things. Show me my next image, please. If we were to go back and read them, what we would find is he talks about the heart, he talks about the soul, and he talks about the mind. Will we? Go, go to the next one. Nope. All the way to the top. You guys are going to get it. We're going in reverse. <laughs> Keep going. It should, it should just be three words on the page. Yep, with the one right after this one. Nope. <laughs> there we go. Jesus says that we are to love God with our heart, our soul, and our mind. But not just a piece of it. All of it. Not a fraction. Not half. Not even the majority of it. But we are to love God with all of our heart. Now, these three parts of an individual, they interact to produce or create a certain identity. And what we need to do is we need to make sure that we understand these three components and how they function so that as we move forward, there is no confusion of what we mean when we bring up heart, soul. Am I? We're going to begin with our discussion of the heart. Here we go. When Jesus uses the word heart in his response, he is not talking about the fist sized organ that's in your chest. Go to my next image. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Jesus is not talking about that fist-sized organ that goes in your chest when he's talking about the heart. 
his reference to heart is figurative. A person's heart is their desires. A person's heart is their inclination. It's their passion. Thus, you will always find a person's heart in a place where I call it their want to. No matter where a person is standing physically, their heart, their true existence is where they really want to be, not where they're standing. A person can be standing right in front of you, but want to be somewhere else. A person can be doing something with you, but want to be doing something else. They could be talking to you, but guess what? They want to be talking to somebody else. The heart. The physical heart. The physical heart and the body are always in the same place. But the heart that Jesus talks about in Matthew 22, the heart that he references, that figurative heart or that symbolic heart, however you want to you refer to it, that heart is detachable from your physical body. That heart, your passions, your desires, your inclinations, they may be in the same place you stand in, but they don't have to be. That heart and that body can be in two different places. Because it's your passion. Here's how Jesus said it in Matthew 6. Talking about that, 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 that heart that Jesus is talking about, not necessarily being in the same place. In Matthew 6, easy to read version. Starting in verse 21 or only verse 21, Jesus says this, your heart will be where your treasure is. In other words, what he's saying is a person's true devotion is going to be in the place they treasure most. I say it like this, you're going to find a person existing where their want to is. If I want to know where you are, I don't need to look at you physically. I just need to know where you want to is. Once I find you want to, I know where you're really at. Check this out. A person, let's call it a young person, but it doesn't have to be. A young person can be on a college campus going to get a degree, spending tuition money, my God, might be spending a parent hard-earned, hard-earned, <laughs> dripping sweat to make a dollar money on college tuition. And they could be just throwing that money away because they physically there, carrying books, going to class, but don't want to be there. You can be on a college campus, but not be on the campus. You can go to that job every day. 
Not every day, every day. Every day, every day, every day, however you want to say it, go to that job routinely all the time. You can go to that job every day. I don't care if it means you actually go to the office. It might mean you get online. You might jump in that truck, get in that van, pick up that lawnmower, that rake, whatever you do. But you know what? You can be on that job, but not on the job. Because you're on there physically, but your want to ain't there. That's why you can go to that birthday party, sitting there blowing out the candles to your auntie, your grandma, and you don't really want to be there. Well, well, he, he, he came, he came by, Ricky came by, but Ricky never showed up. Oh, he in the picture, but he ain't there. He came by and gave you a hug, but he really didn't want to be there because a person's heart, the figurative heart, is detachable from the physical. You went to the reunion, but you don't even like your people. You went because you ain't go last year and your mama told you next year you better show up. That's the only reason you went. You were there, but your heart wasn't there. You did all the stuff. You did the horseshoes. You did the three-legged race. You ate the barbecue. You helped cut up the watermelon. You did all that stuff. But you know what the bottom line is? You were there, but you were not there. You could be at the dinner table with her or him and not really be at dinner. Looking in her baby brown eyes, but not be at the table. And I check this out. And I know we are in mixed company, so I'm going to keep this G. I'm going to keep it rated G minus. But everybody in here who's got the mind of what I'm getting ready to say will get exactly what I'm trying to say. Because you need to realize that your figurative heart and your body ain't got to be in the same place. Hey, you can be in the bed with her but not be in the bed with her. You can be in the bed with him but not be in the bed with him. Listen, the figurative heart that Jesus is talking about that thing is detachable from the physical. And you will always find that heart in the place where that person's true devotion lies. Always. Next, we have the soul. Now, the soul, that's your inner you. That's your essence. Look at this next image. I want you to consider your soul as the part of you that can communicate with the spirit realm. Therefore, your soul is that part of you that can communicate or, or, or reach out and, and, and contact God. Hey, guess what? Or something else. It's, it's the part of you that communes with the, with, the, with the spirit. When a person communes with God on a regular basis, genuinely commune with God, 
not going through the motions, but you genuinely commune with God on a routine basis, then that person's soul will begin to reflect a God-centered nature. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. The Message Bible, chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. Whenever, though, they turn to face God as Moses did, and he's talking about turning away from the old law into the new, the new Testament beauty that Jesus has given us. But it says, whenever, though, they turn to face God as Moses did, God re removes the veil and there they are face to face. Then suddenly, they suddenly recognize that God is a living personal presence, not a piece of chiseled stone. And when God is personally present, a living spirit, that old constricting legislation is recognized as obsolete. We're free of it. All of us. Nothing between us and God. Our faces shine with the brightness of his face. And so we are transfigured much like the Messiah, our lives gradually becoming brighter and more beautiful as God enters our lives and we become like him. Look at that. Our lives gradually becoming brighter and more beautiful as God enters our lives and we become more like him. The more a person communes with God, the more their soul becomes more like him. Amen. Unfortunately, or higher, however, or but, or yet, or still, whatever word you want to leave, you use, not everybody communes with God. And yes, that comment applies to believers too. And even if a believer wanted to stand up and say, you know what? That's a lie. I do commune with God. Then, of course, the next question to consider is whether or not they commune with him genuinely and on a regular basis. That's a whole different level of communing. Don't you tell me you commune with God and your communion with God is the 90 minutes on Sunday. That's, that's not communing. That's a visit. That's just a stopping by. God, I see you next week. If you want me to bring you something, text me. Yeah. Call it in. I'll swing by and pick it up on my way. Communing is that desire, that passion that can't do without that. I'm going to talk to you in the morning. I'm going to talk to you at noontime. I'm going to talk to you in the evening. I'm going to get with you, God, all the time because my heart craves your presence. That's communing. Communing is genuine. Communing is not watching your watch. Communing is, communing is not trying to fit it in before the new series of your show come on. You know, because Netflix getting ready to release the whole series and it come out today. And so if I start communing with God at a quarter to 10, God, I'll give you not the whole 15 minutes because it come on at 10. It come out at 10. I'm going to give you 
12 minutes because I need time to get my popcorn and make sure I put on my, my lay down clothes because when I start binge watching God, I'm going to go through the whole season. Now, God, what I can do, it's going to take me about five hours to do the whole season. So I pick you up by, by, by 6.30. You good with that? Don't tell me, don't, don't, don't tell me you're going to stand your believer argument on the fact that you, you give God visitations and you slip him in where he fit in instead of letting other stuff slip in and let God have control of everything that has to do with you. Don't, 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 no, -uh, don't do that. No, baby, no, -uh, no, brother, you can't do that to me because if God was primary, he would be primary. Because the, the, the kind of, listen, the kind of conversation my wife and I have together is, you know, sometimes we're, 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 we can get to where we, you know, we, we bump heads sometimes. I mean, you know my personality. <laughs> but what a lot of you don't know is it's a fraction of her personality. She said they're all quiet and cute. No. <laughs> hey, I got the scars, Joker. <laughs> But <laughs> testify, my brother. <laughs> they don't know. They don't know. <laughs> that man said, I understand. <laughs> so I got band-aids on this shirt right now. I'm bandaged up right now. <laughs> but sometimes when you're, when, when, when you, like, let's say, let's just put it all on me. Let's say I said I was going to be at a certain place, and, and, and I wouldn't. Right. We don't get all conflicted and messed up with trying to make it something that's not and trying to come up with a whole bunch of reasons. Her, her, her response to me is simply things like, if you wanted to be here, you would have been here. It's not that complicated. As a grown man, as a person who has control of himself, if you wanted to be here, you would have been here. Outside of something extreme, you know. So here's, here's what I'm saying. If God is first, he will be first. Whatever excuse you try to put around it or whatever, how much lipstick you want to try to put on that pig, oink, oink, joke, it's a pig if, 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 if you just aren't putting God first. Our lives gradually becoming brighter and more beautiful as God enters your, our lives and we become more like him or become like him. That's what happens when you commune on a regular basis. But not everybody communes on a regular basis with God, believers included. Thus, you know what that means? That means that your soul and my soul can be in various states. What do I mean? For example, a soul can be God-centered. A soul can be self-centered. A soul can be sin-centered. The condition of your soul is going to reflect its spiritual nutrition. It's going to reflect what it's communing with. Thirdly, we have 
the mind. Now, understanding the mind is very foundational to make sure that as we go through this, these sessions, that everyone has the same understanding because it's a critical role, the, the mind. I mean, the series is called, has mind in the title. So you know the mind plays a big part. But for me, just talking to you, this part is something for you to grasp and don't let it, grasp and don't let it go. My next slide, please. The initial statement I want to make is that your mind and your brain, they're not the same. They're not the same. They exist in the same place, but they're not the same. Family, your brain is a physical organ. Your mind, like your soul, is abstract. Your brain stores information. Your mind uses information. Your mind is the place of your conscious and unconscious thought. It's the place of your rationale. It's the place of your intellect, your mind. If we were to try to take those two words and come up with some examples that kind of, I say magnify or make more concrete the difference in how they interact with each other, I would give you these three. My next image, please. In automotive terms, the brain is the car. The mind is the driver. In musical terms, the brain, thinking about an orchestra, is the conductor. The mind is the composer. In a computer sense, the brain is the hard drive. The mind is the CPU, the processor. What I'm trying to tell you is the mind is the thing that puts the brain to work. One author put it this way. In relating the mind and the brain, he said this, the mind uses the brain and the brain responds to the mind. The mind uses the brain and the brain responds to the mind. Having talked generally and briefly about those three things, the heart, the soul, and the mind, Understanding that we're, in, we're just doing an introductory session. Everybody say introduction. introduction. It's, it's, laying, it's laying groundwork. But having talked about those three things, let's talk about now how those three things form more of the whole person. Give me my next image. Why does Jesus say that a person should love God with all their heart, all their soul, and all their mind. 
Now this is this this is a bit of an overlay, but here's what I want you to I want you to envision. I want you to envision that these items, the ones in the gray, are not overlaying those black items. And I want you to imagine that those three arrows pair what's on the left with what's on the right. So the arrows are more towards the center, okay? When we talk about our heart, our heart is the thing that reflects our passion and devotion towards God. When we talk about our soul, my God, you guys are beautiful. Thank you. When we talk about our soul, our soul is the spirit to spirit conduit. And when we talk about our mind, our mind is the bodily director. In other words, our mind gives the brain instructions on what to tell the body to do. I want you to imagine the conflict in a person when these three things are not in alignment. I want you to imagine what goes on inside someone when the heart, soul, and mind are not in sync. When these three elements are, are in opposition, it can wreak havoc on somebody's stability. A person can end up doing things that they never imagined themselves doing, never conceived themselves doing, or flat out don't even want to be doing. Paul describes that in Romans. Listen to what he says. Talking about a conflict that's going on inside of him. Romans chapter 7, easy to read version, starting in verse 14. Paul says this. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am not. I am so human. Sin rules me as if I were its slave. I don't understand why I act the way I do. I don't do the good I want to do, and I do the evil I hate. And if I don't want to do what I do, that means I agree that the law is good. But I am not really the one doing the evil. It is the sin living in me that does it. Yes, I know that nothing good lives in me. I mean, nothing good lives in the part of me that is not spiritual. I want to do what is good, but I don't do it. I don't do the good that I want to do. I do the evil that I don't want to do. So if I do what I don't want to do, then I am not really the one doing it. It is the sin living in me that does it. So I have learned this rule. When I want to do good, evil is there with me. Evil is there with me. In my mind, I am happy with God's law, but I see another law working in my body. That law makes war against the law that my mind accepts. That other law working in my body is the law of sin, and that law makes me its prisoner. What a miserable person I am. Who will save me from this body that brings me death? I thank God for his salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. So in my mind, I am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful self, I am a slave to the law of sin. Now, we're going to extract a few key phrases out of here. And now, of course, 
you know, these phrases and going, if we were to go through everything Paul is talking about, we would get a slightly different flavor. But the, the, the thought process here is he's describing a war that's going on inside of him. And that's what we want to focus in on. Give me my next image, please. Because it gives me a good opportunity to expound on heart, soul, and mind. We're going to pull out certain phrases from what we just read. Paul is talking about an internal war or conflict. Notice he says, I don't understand why I act the way I do. I don't do the good I want to do. I do the evil I hate. I want to do what is good, but I don't do it. I don't do the good I want to do. I do the evil I don't want to do. In my mind, here we go, I am happy with God's law, but there is another law working in my body. In my mind, I know the information that I should do, which is right, but somehow I keep doing something else. That law makes war against the law that my mind accepts. What a miserable person I am. When you don't have your heart, your soul, and your mind in sync, you end up in conflict. You end up doing things that you don't necessarily want to do or things that you would never contemplate doing. Now, let me give you an example of that outside of what Paul is talking about. Take me one more slide previous. Heart, soul, and mind. Heart is your passion, devotion. Soul is your spiritual conduit. Your mind is what directs your body. Let me give you this example. And this example involves an elementary school child who's going to go through this conflict. Now, we can take that example and translate it to an adult situation. But you know what? Let's talk about the kids. A child is in class, and that child, raised by a good family, that child goes to church is familiar with God. The parents have instilled some good values. So the child's soul is in a good place. But that child's heart wants to be popular. That child's heart says to his mind, we want to be popular. So what happens? They start talking, these three. And now the soul doesn't really have any issue with that. So between the three, the mind goes, okay, here are some things that we can do to make that happen. And the, and the ideas aren't that extreme. So the soul's like, we cool. And the heart's like, I'm cool because I can get what I want to. But those things don't work. They don't get the popularity that the heart wants. So the heart gets louder and pushes the mind to think of something more extreme. The heart and mind get together and they say, you know what I can do? I can act up in class. I can become the class clown. 
I know a way I can get all the kids' attention focused on me. All I got to do is start acting up and pull the attention my way. At which point the soul says, I don't know. I don't think that's a good idea. You know for a fact that mom and dad won't appreciate that. And you know better. And so the soul kind of pulls the mind and says, do you really think this is a good idea? <laughs> and the mind says, I don't think so. But not just on that, the mind says, because, and then it goes to its brain files. It's <laughs> and it pulls out the family rule book. And the mind talks to the soul. He says, no, I don't think that's a good idea because I see here in the family rule book, section 1B, <laughs> where it says that if I act up in class, mom and dad will tear my behind off the rim. <laughs> so no, I don't think it's a good idea. So the mind and the soul step to the heart and go, we ain't going to do that. But that doesn't please the heart. The heart gets louder. The heart gets stronger. And I want you to say something with me before we finish this example. Repeat these words. I got to find it. It was... Never underestimate Give me one second because I do want you to find it. I want you to say it. So it's a real problem. Okay, here we go. Say this with me. Never underestimate, Never underestimate. The, power the power of a passionate heart. Never underestimate the power of your heart's want to. Never underestimate the power of a heart's true desire. That kid know, down deep in their soul, evidence from stuff mom and dad has is in their mind. They should not be cutting up in class. If they had a mama like mine. It's simple. Don't you have them? And I'm going to tell you, she would say white folk. But I ain't going to say that. Because all the administration was mostly, was mostly white, right? And so what mom would tell me is, listen, I'm sending you to school to learn, not to cut up. Don't you have them folk calling me and me having to come down there to straighten you out? And so the mind and the soul, they know mama and daddy, they don't want none of this happening. But the heart says, I want to be popular. And the heart gets louder and louder and louder until 
the heart convinces the mind to direct the body to do something. That starts a sequence of events that are not good for that child. But that's an example of how these things interact. And you can easily translate that to the adult life. I'm not going to even put a subject on it. I'm just going to say, your heart wants to do something, and your soul says that's wrong. Your mind agrees that it's wrong. But if you mess around and underestimate the power of a passionate heart, don't you think that that's a light thing? Because the heart will drive your mind to do something you thought you would never do. But when all these things are in sync and have a God nature, you don't run into that conflict. So here we go. We've talked about the heart, the soul, and the mind. Introduction into the master's mind. Introduction into mind intensive. We're going someplace from here. But it's very important this session that we lay this, front, this, this, this groundwork. And here's what I want you to repeat. Say, obtaining the mind of Christ involves more than a simple mental change out. It is the alignment of all parts of you with God such that your heart and soul influence your mind to both think like God and govern your body to act godly. That's where we're at. We don't need to jump right into having the mind of Christ without knowing that having the mind of Christ ain't just, you know, you, you, you going in and the guy's like, okay, sir, your procedure's going to be at 2 a.m. You're going to be down in the anesthetic for about an hour and a half. We're going to do a mind change out. We're going to give you the mind of Christ. We're going to take this old nasty mind. You're going to throw it away. Do you want to save it? Do you want to see it? Do you want to see it? No, you don't want to see it? Okay, we're going to throw it away, and then we're going to give you the mind of Christ. Now, we're going to keep you for a little while because we want to make sure that you come out of anesthetic properly. You don't go home with any, you know, side effects, but you're going to have the mind of Christ when we're done. That's not how it works. It doesn't work like that. What, what, what the mind of Christ has to be about is making sure you check your heart and check your soul such that those things are aligned to give your mind something to focus on and push it past what it used to do. Because your mind has a brain and the stuff in that brain doesn't go away because you say, I do for Christ. And when that mind can look back in that brain and do an evaluation of what it used to do, it's liable to trickle back down to the heart and the heart be like, oh, I used to like that. And once that passion gets struck up again, the soul's in trouble. Mm 
So having the mind of Christ is not just about a mental change out. It's about the holistic view of you. To say it, if I can say it more direct, to get enough God in you to make your mind bow. But family, we'll jump into that stuff next time. Woo. Introduction into the master's mind. Let's pray. God, I thank you for each and every person here in that everybody here has come and they have received something that is going to make their lives better. We also ask that as they take this information with them, or even for those who hear this at a later date. God, we don't want any, I'm gonna call it, walls up against your word. Clear a pathway such that your word gets in and soaks in deep. So deep that nothing can easily extract it out. And we pray, God, for application. Application as we go through dispensing on what you have for us. You're not just giving us information just to hear it. It all hinges on what we do with it. Touch each and every person, heart, soul, and mind. Our prayer is that they're communing time with you increases such that it draws them into having a more godlike nature basically it allows them to become more and more like you it's in Jesus name that we pray amen well that's what God had to say to us today we pray that it blessed you as always we pray that the word of God blesses you not just years from now or months from now or weeks from now, not even days from now, but we pray that you got something out of the message today that would change your life immediately. God bless you and look forward to chatting with you next time.